Welcome to the Learning is Disruptable podcast. We're your hosts, Tony and Jerry Lynn Brown. This is a podcast exploring the intersection of disruptive innovation and homeschool. Kids naturally love to learn, and if their education is structured correctly, they will become lifelong learners. You can customize learning for children of varying ages, strengths, and interests. Do you have what it takes to be different and to be an innovative leader in your home and community? In this week's episode, we're sitting down and talking with Tim Hall. Tim Hall is Director of Curriculum and Learning at American Heritage Worldwide. Tim is a husband and father of four children. He holds a BA in Education from Brigham Young University, Idaho, and an MA in Linguistics from Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Tim has taught and developed curriculum for middle and high school students in both public and private schools while his own children are educated at home. Beyond K-12 education, Tim co-founded a university instructional consultation program and also led a team of instructional designers at the Department of Energy's flagship Nuclear Energy Laboratory, INL. Tim and his family live on a productive homestead in eastern Idaho. Enjoy the conversation. All right, so we are here with Tim Hall from American Heritage School Worldwide. And Tim, we're just going to let you run with it and introduce yourself. Tell us about you. Well, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. I love what you guys are doing as I've looked into this more and, and seen that the space that you're in and the people you're you're sharing with and promoting. I, I love that this message is getting out more. Well, my journey to get here is, is a little bit interesting. I, I grew up I'll say education is the thing that's been kind of the through line of my whole life. My mom was one of those weird people back in the 80s who was homeschooling when it wasn't cool. And uh, people thought we were, I don't know, communists or something. But I grew up being homeschooled in, in elementary school. And my mom had never, she wasn't homeschooled as a child, but she came to that because my older brothers were so far ahead in reading. And the teacher at the local elementary school was just unequipped to deal with with that. And so they were getting in trouble for reading Shakespeare under their desk in third and fourth grade. And she decided it was time to maybe take them home. And that's how it started for my family. So I had that experience. I did go to public school in sixth and eighth grade. I was tired of all the neighborhood kids knowing the inside jokes that had happened at school that I didn't know about. And so uh, I went to school and I remember of my sixth grade year, my big takeaways were the social landscape was a little overwhelming. I had social skills, but I'd never had to deal with that many people packed into that amount of space for that long every day. Um, and they were all my age. That was a little disconcerting. It took me about three or four months to start to, to get a hold of that. The other overwhelming impression I had is that it was weird that nobody else liked reading. None of my friends at school liked to read. And I remember taking that advanced or accelerated reader AR test and and I was in like mid-college level in sixth grade or something, which was just normal to me because homeschool had been reading, just tons and tons of reading. But I did go to public high school as well and had a great experience there, honestly. It got me into cross country. I joined a band that was really great for my, my enjoyment of music and uh, got to be involved in student council and a lot of great things. And I'd say... 
maybe I'm jumping ahead a bit, but as I've looked back at that experience, there's so much more available for non-traditional schoolers now than there was back then for me. And so it's amazing, for example, working with American Heritage Worldwide and, and other things I'm involved in, I see youth having those experiences that I had to go to public school for, getting those experiences outside of public school or in partnership with public school, even while they do different things for academics. And that's, I think, a really positive trend is, uh, is breaking down these, these categories we had of public school, private school, homeschool. The reality is once you step out of the normal traditional pathway, you're at liberty to just piece together from an innumerable innumerable amount of resources and options what's best for individual children. That's one of the reasons I'm a big proponent of parents taking an active role in education. Well, and certainly there's variety too. I'll be the first to say that there are plenty of families in a situation where it can be very difficult to take a more active role for the parents in the education of their children, but not as many as might think. A lot of people have this stereotype that pulling out of the public education unquestioned system, because you can still use public education where it fits and where it's right and, and be doing something different. But many don't see what's outside. And so all they see out there is a jungle of fears. And it takes a few steps in before you realize there are tons of opportunities and resources. Are you familiar with a book called The End of Average? Have you run across that one by an author named Todd Rose? No, I haven't. He talks a lot about the importance of customization and focusing on the individual, both in learning and in work and in, in all kinds of different settings. So we've got an upcoming podcast series where we're going to talk about that book and how we think uh, homeschool is a great set of solutions for uh, some of the problems he identifies with public schools and the, the, just the, what you call the unquestioned model. What do you feel like are some of the key aspects of the typical education approach that's out there that maybe some of it is good and maybe some of it sets off red lights in your, in your mind that says, hey, this, this is an opportunity to do something better? Well, that's a great segue kind of back into my story because I, I became a public school teacher after college. I loved education. I wanted to be involved in it. And so I, I became a public school teacher and I lived that unquestioned model from the inside. And some of the characteristics of it are, well, there are a lot of things that you don't even think to question because they've always been that way. Age segregation, right? Students are all with same age peers and, and we haven't stopped to question what that does to the development, uh, the developmental trajectory of a child because it's unprecedented really in human history. There's not a lot of cases where a child spends almost all of their time only with people of their same developmental stage. So there's one. Another one is maybe the most common, which is just the, the somewhat one-size-fits-all nature of it. You can call it a consolidated curriculum. We talk about differentiated curriculum, which is where we give different things to different students depending on their, you know, their personal level. But schools overwhelmingly practice consolidation. In fact, the reason we hear about differentiation in learning so much is because school teachers are trying to break out of the overwhelmingly consolidated model that they're in to try to give even a little bit of differentiation. And it's very difficult in just the, just the logistics of having, you know, when I taught, I had 38 to 40 students in every period for five periods a day. And to give differentiated instruction is very difficult. So what is consolidated curriculum? It means we put you all through the same thing. 
that's one of the reasons a lot of people leave public school or even private school for that matter. Many private schools aren't structurally different than public schools. So I call it more the traditional model. And there's a lot more grades. The idea that this one motivational and accountability system grades is appropriate across developmental levels, across subjects. You know, I taught foreign language, for example, and students learning a foreign language, the research is very clear that they don't follow a linear upward trajectory. And so when you're required to submit three to four grades that reflect their performance to standards every week, what's going to happen is those grades will signify to those students, this is just one example, that they're actually getting worse even when the developmental research says you often get worse right before you get better. We know that with linguistic development. And so there's all sorts of issues with a standardized model. Uh, those are just a few. And I lived that from the inside out. I was six months into teaching my first year when I just became really overwhelmed with the inefficiencies, how much money and people's time we were pouring in and the very mediocre outcomes that most students were taking away. That set me on a journey, which I've been on since 2014, that first year of teaching, because you know, my first thought was, well, I could do this better. Certainly I could do this better. And then, you know, that nagging voice in the back of my head said, oh yeah, well, what would you really do? And that's a hard question to answer. It's no simple thing to, to provide solutions. It's a very simple thing to criticize. And so that set me on a journey of what would an educational system look like if we swept everything we, we just assume about education off the table and only put back those pieces that are in accordance with what we understand about human development, about learning, what kind of structures, what kind of school, for lack of a better word, would exist to enshrine those characteristics of good learning. And that's kind of what's driven me ever since. And since then, I've, I've taught in private schools as well. And now I'm here with American Heritage Worldwide working on this project to help bring what we just say as a private school quality education to families in any situation, right? Whether they are doing this on top of normal schooling, whether they're homeschooling, whether they're in a co-op or a micro school, we have actually a couple of schools that are using our program inside their actual building as the launch point for their learning. So it's a very flexible option and it's definitely not perfect, but it's a really fertile ground right now to, uh, to push forward and, and try to implement some of this. So that's how we connected with you is that our family was part of the Lift Ed founding families group this past school year. We were able to kind of travel alongside of you on the other side of it and see how your program and your, your learning model fit with our family. And we were really happy with it and, and planning to move forward with it. But I wonder if for our audience, if you could just give a real brief explanation of what Lift Ed is and how it works. Yeah, you bet. Let me just say a couple words of, of background. American Heritage School Worldwide is the worldwide outreach of American Heritage School based in American Fork, Utah. And it's a private school that's been there for 53 years, has just outstanding outcomes academically, also in, in terms of the non-academic outcomes that their students have in terms of jobs and college and all of that. And it is a school that is religious in focus. It's not directly sponsored by any church, but it is religious in focus and aligned with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
And since 2012, we've had an outreach program to homeschool families called the Family School, which was just homeschool curriculum based on the curriculum in the private school that was made available at the time in binders and families could could buy it and, and use it. Eventually that was put online and it was a way to teach children in your own home in a one-room schoolhouse model, kind of breaking down those uh, that age segregation we talked about earlier. So these resources allowed a mother or father, although it's usually a mother, to be honest, to teach a group of multiple children of different ages in their home at the same time. And uh, that worked pretty well. That's been used by thousands of students around the world in many different countries, but there was a big problem with it. The problem was viability long-term for most families. It was just too much work. You know, moms and dads are busy people. They still have their jobs. They have raising the family. They have so much to do that like any other homeschool option, we had a huge attrition rate. So well over 50% of our families did not continue after the first year. And as we did surveying and, and research, that was mostly a function of it was just too much time and the parents couldn't keep that going long-term. So from that was born an idea of what would a solution look like that had the same curricular strength, but didn't depend on the parents so much. And that's where LiftEd was born. And it's really the response to three problems. Well, one core problem, which is we've got about 68%, the most recent research says about 68% of families who have children in school age are considering an alternative to public school. And, and that's, that's pretty big group of people. Now, most of those never do it. So the question is why? And, and they feel like public school's failing, but the alternatives to public school also fall short. And those alternatives, if you sum them up quickly, are homeschool, online school, or private school. There's a lot of shades in between, but those are the big, the big heavy hitters. Private school fails because it's just too expensive for most families, and it's not, it's not located close to them, even if they can afford it. Online school fails largely because it's not engaging and it's isolating, and the students pretty soon want to just go back to be with their friends. I know you, you've modeled a lot of this podcast with the title after Clayton Christensen's book, Disrupting Class, and he's the one that produced that research that showed what students, what job they're hiring school to do. And it's largely two things, be with friends and feel successful. And so if you can't meet the be with friends part, it gets old really fast. It's just too disconnected. That's online school. And then homeschool fails because it's just too hard. It's just too time consuming for the parents. So you got all these families who are feeling a call. That's really the best way to describe it because that's how thousands of families have described it to us. There's a call inside them to do something different with their children's education, but they look at the landscape of alternatives and just conclude that it's not, there's not a firm enough landing place out there to, to step out of public school. So LiftEd is our attempt to create a firm landing place. And we've just completed our first year, a pilot, and uh, it's definitely still in progress. I'm glad you've had good results with it. There's still a lot. I mean, we've, we're probably at 30% of what we designed for this that's actually active because that's how program development is, especially software development. But I'll just overview what it is really quickly. So we've taken our curriculum and we have recorded the lessons being taught by great teachers. We have a, a film production studio. And then we created a piece of software that houses that content as well as the student journey where they act, interact with that content. It's not passive watching. They have to complete activities. 
They have to respond to questions, et cetera, et cetera. We can get into more details of that later. But it does that in a social environment. And that's the key. You know, online learning is typically too disconnected. So the LiftEd platform we built and piloted this last year has a couple of main goals. One is to create in-person connection. So we found that. If people didn't have in-person connection, it was not a viable long-term solution. So the LiftEd platform geofences students into groups. And so when students go through their daily learning journey, they are seeing and interacting with other students, and those students are the ones who live closest to them. And there's two real reasons for that. One is just so they see each other and they get to spend time with each other. The other is we're really trying to foster families meeting. One of the most oft-cited problems that homeschoolers have, something that they would hire a product to do this job for them, is to connect them with other like-minded families. And we've been in that category ourselves. We've homeschooled for four years now, my wife and I, and for the first three of those, we never found our people. We never found that group who had the kids the same age, who saw things the same way we did, wanted to do the same types of things we did, and, and uh, could meet around that. Until this last year with Lift Ed. You know, I put my kids in it because, by gum, they better try out the product I was working on so much. And they met other students in our area. We didn't even know we're doing the, the program through that platform. In fact, there's a funny experience we had at an American Heritage event in Utah. I don't live in Utah, but um, I was down there for an event and I met a family. We started talking, the parents, and it turns out they live in Idaho near me and they're using the, the program, Lift Ed. And so I, I invited them over for dinner the next week. And when they came to our door, a family we've never met before, my son runs outside, my 10-year-old, and he says, John, hey, he knew, he knew the 10-year-old in the other family because they'd seen each other in the platform every day. And maybe for your, for your listeners, I'll just describe how that works. Every day's learning journey, you know, what, let's say it's a, it's a physics lesson. They walk through a number of steps. The students are taken onto the platform. They have a dashboard. They click on, on the lesson from their calendar for the day. And the lessons drop at the same time for all students. It's like an episode of a TV show used to be. 9 a.m., the lesson goes live. That encourages the students to go together, to do it at the same time. In education, we call that synchronous learning. But this is a kind of a strange blend of asynchronous and synchronous because they're actually asynchronously walking through the pathway at the same approximate time as other students are. And so they're able to see the activity of the other student in the platform. What does that look like? The first step every day is a review game. And that review game pulls questions for previous lessons and into a Kahoot style quiz where the students can see each other and see each other on a leaderboard and how they're performing. And then at the end, there is a podium with a gold, silver, bronze winner. And they just love having that little bit of friendly competition and seeing who won. This is with that same group of about 10 students that they are geofenced with every day. The second step in the learning journey is the main academic lesson for the day. And it's a pre recorded video with stops. So as the timeline of the video progresses, they'll come to these interaction points where the video pauses and up pops at interaction. Some of those interactions are just knowledge check questions. Some of them are activities. Some of them are additional information through a, an embedded YouTube video or something else. But at least once in every lesson, they come to a question that they have to answer. So they have to, their camera pops up and they hit record Maybe the question is, okay, you just learned about Newton's first law. How would you describe it in your own words? And they have to click record and answer that question. Once they've submitted their answer, 
this is like the, there's a ed tech app called flip or Flipgrid as it used to be called. It's a very similar technology where then they can see the answers of the people in their class. So once they've submitted their answer, they get to go through and watch what all their friends said. And they do watch them. We've got the data on the back end. Uh, the students are drawn like just, you know, magnets to each other's content. They're sick of seeing our teacher's face. They want to see their friends. So they listen to seven other students reteach Newton's first law in their own words, which not only is a social interaction by which, as evidenced by my son's experience with John, they really do get to know who each other are. But beyond that, they're reviewing the content in different words seven times, right? And hearing how different people explain it, which is really powerful for elaboration in, in learning as well. So we can see in the first and second steps, the review game and the academic lesson, they're interacting in both of those. The same interaction takes place in the next step, which is a faith connection. We are a faith-based school. Our mission eventually is to help all families in the world learn or educate their children in the light of their own faith tradition. So we've already piloted collaborating with a, a Jewish rabbi in Salt Lake City, uh, a Muslim partner from Qatar. We've got Catholic partners who've recorded faith connections to, to the lessons that go along with their faith, as well as the Latter-day Saint option that we record. Now that's not live yet to, to families, but that's coming. So students learn an academic concept, and then in the next video stop, they hear a faith leader connect Newton's first law to an aspect of their faith using scripture or whatever their religion prescribes. And in that experience as well, they contribute a, a re recorded answer. And that's one of the most powerful things that's happened is we've got the data on the student watch. They watch each other's videos and they're hearing each other share feelings about faith, which I don't know about you guys, but when I was 10 or 12, I wasn't talking to my friends much about my religious beliefs. It just wasn't a common thing until I was a little older, but they are through the platform. So that, that step is also connected. The next stop, I, there's only six, I promise. But So we've gone through the first three, and they're connected to other students in, in each of those. The fourth stop, they actually connect to family. Our mission at American Heritage School says American Heritage School assists parents worldwide in educating the hearts, minds, and bodies of their children to achieve their divine potential. So we're really here to assess parents, and we want to connect them into this experience as well. The next stop is called the Golden Envelope. Parents are prompted through the platform a couple of days before the lesson goes live. It says, hey, your student's going to learn about Newton's first law. When have you seen someone you know, react? I, I'm making this one up. I don't have it off the top of my head. But it gives some sort of prompt or question to the... We've answered a handful of those questions. Can you remember one off the top of your head on a particular lesson? They run the gamut from faith connections to also like, when have you seen Newton's first law in action in your life? Exactly. Yeah, and so the parents just click on that little link on their phone or whatever they're doing at the grocery store, wherever they are, and their camera pops up and they record a little answer. Hey, Johnny, you learn about this today. In fact, I just saw someone pushing their shopping cart here and it just kept going until it ran into the barrier. That's an example of Newton's first law. Hope you're having a great day. Love you, son. And off you go. That video is then inserted into the child's uh, learning pathway. Now, parents can send that link to anyone they want. Any friend of the family, any grandparent, I've had my, my children's grandparents submit things. They live in Alaska and they're far away. It's, it's a good way to stay connected. Yeah, my kids are like, why are you always the one on there? I want granny to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, and you can submit multiple. You can do one and granny can do one. 
So the students then see someone they trust and love, and that's important for learning. Someone that they already trust, again, elaborating on the concept that they've learned for the day in a different way than the teacher did. This is all going back to strengthening that, that learning, and those memories. After that, they have a quiz and they have uh, a, then an assignment to complete. When they complete the assignment, they actually create a video and submit it of them showing what they did for their assignment. So that quiz is the only step of the six steps every day where they are not directly connecting with other human beings, whether they're peers or from their family. Additionally, the parents in the platform can see other parents in their area. You can filter who lives within 20 miles of me. You can contact them through the platform. So again, this is all an effort to push people together. And, and we're seeing the fruits of that. We are seeing people gathering all over the country and actually in Canada and Mexico as well families who are finding each other through the platform or bringing their friends in and then starting essentially micro schools. And they range from loose co-op to very structured micro school, but uh, we're seeing the success of that. So her, she's developed a group of friends and they do Tuesday co-op meetings. So tell, yeah. tell them a little bit about how that has gone for y'all. Cause I yeah. think that'd be good for our audience and for Tim to hear a little bit about. Yeah. So we meet for about four hours every Tuesday. We have a variety of classes, one of which is a lifted extension class where the kids dive deeper or do more hands-on activities together to, again, reinforce that, that topic that they're learning about in class. Um, and then we have other classes like PE and art and classes for the younger siblings who aren't participating in Lift Ed but still are there and wanting to learn. And so it's been so fun. And like you said, it started with one mom who had participated with family school, and she said, oh, they're starting this new Lift Ed program. I wonder if I could get some families that want to do this with me. And it just grew and grew and grew. So we had, I think, between eight and ten families throughout the year that were meeting every week. And then now getting ramped up for next year, I think we're up to 12 families that are now registered with our co-op to participate with us every week. And so it's it's been a fun thing and we do the symphony together and we've gone to the park together and just all kinds of extracurricular things as well that you then have that community to participate with. They did a, as well an end of the year showcase where they invited grandparents and the dads, other it, families, other who were families interested in- and friends. And they had a, a room set up in the back of a gymnasium to each kid had a table, and they were there to explain the stuff that they had done across the year. A then, live presentation as well, where they mm-hmm. read their papers or shared a goal that they had accomplished that year. All It ranged all kinds yeah. of things. One of their big classes was a, a writing class. They pulled in curriculum from a group called IEW, and that gave them some additional curriculum sources that has been really good for the kids. You know, we had discussed a bit before recording our focus on family education centers, which is simply our term for gathering. When families gather together, it's a family education center. And they can look a hundred different ways and be a lot of different sizes. And you were asking about our emphasis on that because we've come out of our pilot year with that being almost the number one emphasis. And the question is why? One of the big reasons is what you just described. Both of you just described exactly the power that happens when families gather, they pool their resources, When you gather a group of 12 families, just simply by the life experience and the skills and the talents of those 10 to 12 mothers and 10 to 12 fathers and some older siblings, it is amazing what you have access to. I mean, in in our little group, we have four, 
or families is all. It's very small. We meet together once a week for about two hours on a Friday. And in that group, we have a sociology professor who served three tours in Iraq. And we have the scenic director at a local university. And we have, you know, just on and on, we have these amazing people. We have a, a nurse. One of the mothers is a nurse. And you know how often we end up using their talents and their knowledge to build and foster the education of our children. It's incredible. And that, that gets to a really important point. Why, why is this innovation? Learning is disruptible is what we decided to call right. our and, and that's so true because of what times are like now. And if you look at our traditional educational model that we talked about earlier, in schools, 30 to 40 students in a classroom, one teacher in front, there's a textbook, bell rings every hour, you go to different classes, all those things, those are built around a constraint that no longer exists. And that constraint is that when that model came into being, information and expertise were scarce resources. So you had to pack the students into the place where the information and the expertise was available, right? Books were expensive, teachers were limited, et cetera. So you got to pack everybody together. That is no longer true. Expertise and information are readily available resources, both online and in person in almost every community. Now, there are parts of the world that are in such poverty that locally they still don't have a lot of those resources, but much of the world does. And, and online, when you add online in there, you've got access to all sorts of information and expertise. So we're focusing on family education centers, not because we believe that Lift Ed or American Heritage Worldwide's curriculum is going to meet everybody's needs. It's not. One example, this last year, we didn't have math or language arts on there. Those are, those are the engine of the educational car, right? But what it does do is when there is some shared experience and a platform that connects you, it gives you the structure in which you can add everything else in. We found that even though these four homeschooling families that meet together with us, we're all doing different things. I mean, I'll throw out some, some if you want. You know, we use the good and the beautiful resources for some of our language arts. We follow a lot of the well-educated heart philosophy and use libraries of hope resources in our home. We use a lot of Khan Academy for math. I mean, we're all over the place, just like- Is he pulling from the same book <laughs> we pull from? That's like our whole list. People all do great stuff too. They do. They have a different expertise. That's right. There's no way that American Heritage Worldwide is going to create all the good stuff. So our aim is to provide a platform and a structure that allows people to gather and bring all that together. Because what used to happen is people would loosely form co-ops, but there was no through line. There was no consistent thing that everybody was doing to provide the underlying structure. It doesn't have to be very much. Maybe we're all doing history and geography on Lift Ed. That's enough to where when you meet every week, you've had a shared experience. It's very easy and quick to gather around, to discuss, to launch off of, and then do all those other things we're talking about. So that, that gives me an interesting question, and I think you've maybe partway answered this. So we've heard you talk about Socratic Dialogue being a really powerful learning platform and format where you've got an expert sitting on the other end of a log from the student. What might you say to a parent who really doesn't feel qualified to teach, whether it's a specific subject or just in general? They have one friend, they were pulling her in one of her other co-ops, and say, hey, we'd like you to help teach. And this friend just, oh, I've never taught anything before. So what might you say to a parent in that kind of a circumstance or with that kind of a feeling? 
We've done research about why the number of families who think about leaving traditional education don't. The top two reasons are, I think my kid would be too lonely. And number two, I don't feel qualified to teach them. There's a bunch of others that are close runner-ups, but, but that one's in the highest. I don't feel qualified to teach. So there's a couple things I'd say there. And you asked about that in general, as well as maybe how would they improve in methods like Socratic dialogue, et cetera. So I'll speak to both of those. First off, I've been through a university teacher training program, and I can say there are some things that teachers are really expert in. Almost all of them, they gain through practical experience. It's overwhelmingly not what you learn in your teacher education program. Not to diminish those, they do as well as they can in a couple of years, your junior and senior year of, of college when you really don't know what you're doing. But teachers do gain expertise in teaching through teaching. And the same will hold true for a parent. It's not any different. Start teaching. You'll get better at teaching. I was a lot better teacher my second year teaching than I was my first year teaching. The second thing I'd learned there is don't worry about ruining them because we've got this myth that has arisen from our unquestioned traditional school model, which is that it's kind of a metaphor. Student learning is like, you know, it's like a computer, this, then this, then this, then this. It's like constructing a tall building. If you miss floor three, there's no way you can possibly construct the fourth floor. If they missed out on this concept in third grade, heavens, they're shot for fourth grade, right? And that's simply just ignorant in the face of developmental psychology, learning theory, et cetera. Just one brief anecdote that I can share. My son didn't do any formal math until third grade. Now, he was actually really interested in math, and we did a lot of, we talked about math all the time around the home, but we didn't put him in any kind of formal math learning situation until third grade. And during that third grade year, he did first, second, and third grade math. All of them in one year. He was developmentally ready. And so parents that are overly concerned with being the teacher and concerned that they are going to ruin their child by taking a year to learn, you're not. Number one, children are resilient. Number two, if you love them and spend time with them doing things you think will help them learn, they'll learn. There's a lot of great research. Go look at the book, Visible Learning, I think is what it's called. Um, biggest meta-analysis of educational interventions ever done. And guess what he found? Every educational intervention helps. Anything people do to try to help someone learn helps them learn. It's a question of effect size, right? Some of them are a lot more effective than others, but take off some of that fear. Take off some of that fear. There's lots of people being successful at it. The second thing I'd say in terms of specific methodologies like Cratic Seminar, just go on YouTube and then practice. It's really not that difficult. Socratic seminar depends on really a couple things. I'd say three things. One, you have to care about the subject. That's one of the beautiful things about homeschooling that is underrepresented, is that many people who start homeschooling never want to go back because the mother and father are learning so much more. I think that's her favorite part. It is, learning with my kids. That's my favorite part. Of and that's, it's powerful, not just on an affective level, but in an actual learning level, when the parent is directly engaged, they get excited about it. And it is so clear. Students get excited about what their parents are excited about overwhelmingly, right? So I spend all my time playing guitar and writing songs on the guitar. Guess what? My kids want to learn to play the guitar because they see me enjoying it and finding joy in it. So for Socratic dialogue in particular, just to take that case, if you're doing Socratic dialogue about the Underground Railroad, 
right, in the Civil War, number one, you better have read about it. And that's a joy. Don't see that as a chore. Go read a great book and enjoy it and find that love of learning. You're saying you want your, your child to love learning. Well, you better be a good example of that. And that's one of the blessings of, of taking an active role in children's education. Second thing, you have to know the methodology. That's not harder than a 15-minute YouTube video. Really, it's not. Just go on, watch a few YouTube videos to give you some ideas and some tools for, for Socratic Seminar so you know what it is and what the basic procedure is. And then the third thing is just practice. And it's low-stakes practice. Do it at dinner table. Do it in the car while you're driving. Just practice those tools. It's not difficult. That's awesome. Well, um, I know we're kind of getting towards the end of our time. I want to put in a plug, and I don't know if I'll keep this in the podcast or not, but on this note of parents being engaged in the learning with the kids, is I would love if Lift Ed would put out a podcast for moms to listen and learn the content alongside their kids so that, that conversation could get in the thumbs up. We're doing awesome. it. We're doing Yay. it. So this coming year, you'll just have a daily podcast where you get to listen to the audio of the lesson that they are experiencing that day. Cool. Awesome. Well. You'll also get a mentor guide for each day's lesson that shows you what what did we talk about? What are some review questions you can ask? It just empowers you to be the mentor daily for that student to jump off of what they did in the platform if you want to. That's great. That's great news. What does success look like in the homeschooling world from your experience? For most parents, it functionally looks like getting into college and succeeding there. Now, there's a lot of other things to say, but that's one that most people care about. Thankfully, on that one, the stats are in. That's easy. Just go on the internet and start searching you know, homeschool college success rates, and you're going to find a dominant story. And that's because it's supported by, by numbers. Back when I was teaching it at a private school in Ohio, we had a constant stream of college admissions reps coming to our school. We were kind of a, a feeder school for you know, University of Chicago and other big universities. And I asked them how they felt about homeschool. And many of them actually said that in their scoring system, it's a plus. You actually get points, extra points in the admissions process for being homeschooled. Um, and so just one other thing I'd say about college admissions is not only do students get into colleges, they do well there. Homeschool students do well in college, largely because they've learned to take some ownership, I think, of their own learning. I think that's one of the causes. That's not backed up by data. But homeschool students do, in general, take a more active approach in their own learning. And that's exactly what college requires. So that's one way of defining success. I think many parents would add a lot to that, right? Success looks like a child who likes to learn. You know, in our American Heritage mission, one of the points is we're preparing students to have the academic skills and knowledge necessary to make self-education a lifelong pursuit. So does the student like to learn? I mean, it's a simple question, but there's a lot of people who don't like to learn academic or other schoolish subjects. I remember trying to, to find who I would marry on a college campus, and on first dates, I would always ask, Tell me about your classes. And the second she would say, oh man, I hate my classes. I hate going to class. I was done. There was not going to be a second date, right? I wanted to marry someone who loved learning. And so that's a way I think a lot of homeschool families would define success as well. I'm sure you're familiar with Kim Clark. He was uh, dean of Harvard Business School and later president of BYU-Idaho. At the time I was there, actually, president of BYU-Idaho. Oh, yeah. I can claim to have worked for him as an online adjunct faculty. So. 
I even met him once, so I, sh- I got to shake his hand. But uh, he was interviewed on a podcast series called The Innovation Show, and they were they were talking about the work of Clay Christensen. And during his interview, Kim Clark mentioned this concept of high love and high expectations as being a really critical element for successful leadership. Uh, I've heard him talk about it in business as well as in learning, and I'm really convinced that it's essential for uh, helping people make progress in all kinds of settings. So how might you create a setting of high love and high expectations when the person doing the teaching is also the person that says, hey, go pick up your socks. Hey, go put away the dishes. Because sometimes it's nice to get other voices in there, but a lot of people I think would understand that being a struggle. Well, let me, let me start out by saying I met Kim Clark once too, and he changed the trajectory of my education. I was studying history education and I had the chance to do a Q&A in a kind of a small setting. And I said, you're in education. What are the trends? What am I likely to get a job in? He had no clue who I was, what I was studying. And he said, I'll tell you this, not history. <laughs> and so I switched to foreign language education. But uh, anyway, I want to give you a couple of things to look up here. There's a couple of books that came to my mind as you were asking that question about high love, high expectation. How do you create that in an environment where you're also the parent? You're not just the educator. The first is a great article that was published, and I'll just give you the, the name of it right here. It's published by a researcher named Jennifer Lois. It's called Role Strain, Emotion Management, and Burnout, Homeschooling Mother's Adjustment to the Teacher Role. Fascinating bit of sociological research that really dives deep into when you start homeschooling, what is your role? Are you mom or are you teacher or are you both? And how do you manage if you're both, right? And that's a very tricky thing. It's one of the number one things that leads to people quitting homeschooling is not being able to manage those dual roles. Uh, the second I'd point you to is Sinichi Suzuki, the, the founder of the famous Suzuki method of learning piano and violin. His book, Nurtured by Love, goes into this quite a bit too. And then the final one is a book called Marva Collins' Way. She was a very successful teacher in inner city, just the hardest environments you can imagine. And she did it. When you said high love and high expectation, that is the book. That whole book is how she employed high love, high expectation to achieve incredible results from kids who were, by every measure, the last, the least likely to succeed. So apart from pointing you to those resources, it really takes a mindset shift. It's actually, it's actually really not hard. It's not as hard as you'd think when you haven't switched your mindset. That's not to say it's without challenges, but families who go into a homeschool pattern and keep the expectations and mindset they had from public school are going to burn out very quickly because of what you described. They cannot keep high expectations with their children while also being the loving parent. They just they have to pick high love or high expectation. In fact, the research talks about that. Am I going to be the warm, loving mother or am I going to be the demanding school teacher? And you're saying from Kim Clark's message, they need both. And you can get to both, but you have to let go of a traditional school model. A lot of people come into homeschool and they try to do public school at home. All right, 9 a.m., we're doing history class. You can't mix business models. That's one of the lessons of Clay's research is that the larger organization will just eat up 
the disruptive business model unless you give it space to. And everybody already has imbibed the public school model through and through. It's going to dominate. You know, they've done research on teachers even. If they go through a teacher training program that teaches them one way, they last about six months in their first job teaching the way that their teacher training program taught them to teach. And after about six months, they go back to however they were taught in school. That's how they teach. And so it's the same thing when you bring your kids home. You've got to, that's why a lot of homeschoolers talk about a detox period. They almost need time to just step completely out. But there's one other really important part of this. And that is one of the worst travesties of the traditional education system. And there's a lot of good too. Don't get me wrong. I was there. But one of the worst outcomes is that we chronically underestimate what students are capable of. We do. And when you give them an environment of high love, which comes first, by the way, high love, it's got to come first from the womb, right? They have high love. and You don't have super high expectations of a two-month-old, right? But those expectations start to layer on appropriately as they develop. And if they've got the high love, go read Hold On to Your Kids. That's a great book. If you've got their heart, if they've given their heart to you, if they've attached to you, they will, they will meet your high expectations. Now, that may take some time when you're transitioning to homeschool. It may not be immediate. You've got to build some love and some, some uh, attachment there, maybe. Although there are plenty of public school families who already have wonderful attachment between parent and child. But that attachment becomes the environment in which learning is fostered. When they feel secure in that attachment, boy, students will explore. And, and life's interesting. That's another thing that school has made us disbelieve, right? That, that learning is this boring thing that is all systematized that I have to do before I can do what I want to do. That's not the case. Life is fascinating. And when you get engaged as the parent and invite your child into that world of wonder with you, they'll come and they will be able to meet expectations in a way you just didn't expect. And just for our audience, we'll make sure all of those articles and books you referenced are in the show notes so they can find them. I think just as a way to close, do you have any final thoughts? And then also, would you want to share any way that our audience can connect either with you or with American Heritage Schools or anything like that? Sure, absolutely. Final thoughts. I'd just say do it. If you're feeling that call to do something different, you have to step out and take the first step. There's no other way to learn. I mean, do you remember when you were trying to pick your major in college or, or make other big life decisions and you were sitting there on the outside trying to look down those pathways? This is Robert Frost, right? Two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. So you can only see so far down a path. What's beyond that bend in the undergrowth? You don't know until you take a few steps. So if you're feeling called to do something different with your children's education, just do it. Step out. But what's the worst that happens? You go back to public school the next year, right? And maybe that'll be right for your family. Every family, every year is different. But you will learn. And you won't learn until you make that step. It, it takes action. You know, I would say from my context, it takes faith. That's not even just religiously speaking. Faith is just trust and, and the belief and the willingness to move forward in the face of uncertainty, right? And so nothing good comes if you don't step forward. So that'd be my final thought uh, in, in terms of how you can reach out to me. Well, I'm happy to just 
share my my email in the in the comments or in the show notes if you'd like we can put that there and then uh, American Heritage Worldwide you can find us at ahsworldwide.org and see all of our different programs there thank you Tim for your time it's been a pleasure thank you yep this has been fun we hope you enjoyed learning from Tim as much as we did Follow AHS Worldwide on Instagram at AHS underscore worldwide. Follow us at Learning is Disruptible. And if you're interested in enrolling your K-8 students in Lift Ed, use our referral link in the show notes for an enrollment discount.